We have two more scripture readings this morning. First, this from Isaiah 40. A voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all peoples shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And this from Amos chapter five. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. May God continue to bless our understanding of these ancient texts. Will you pray with me? O oh, gracious and loving God, May the meditations of all our hearts, our minds, and our spirits be pleasing unto you this day and forevermore. Amen. He was a man of many, many words. He loved to talk to people, and rarely did anyone meet him who didn't leave feeling like they had made a new friend. But for a man of so many words, it was two three word phrases that may have influenced me the most. The first, I love you. I heard it often and always with a smile and a gleam in his eye. And the second phrase, God is love. These words washed over me without giving me much thought at the time. Until recently when I came to realize that these two simple phrases have formed me to my core. My father, Papa, as I called him later in life, gave me the very precious gift of being able to embrace that I am loved and also loved by a God who does so unconditionally. Papa also taught me a lot simply by introducing me to a variety of places and experiences. I grew up in a suburb of St. Louis a newly developed subdivision where all the homes looked the same, as did the occupants. But my dad often took us to the city, and once we were near the outskirts, he got off the highway, and we always drove through the neighborhoods. We experienced the hill, which is still primarily where Italian-Americans reside. And if you need a really good meal, go to the hill. We drove through the south side where many of our families, German immigrants, originally settled. And we drove through the poorest of poor neighborhoods and the failed social experiment of high rises known then as the projects. I don't remember a word that he spoke on these outings, but I have a vivid memory of knowing that this is what inequality looked like. And without knowing it at the time, these experiences also formed me to my core. Papa also drove us to Memphis, Tennessee, shortly after the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. He took us to the motel where he was killed, and we stood outside in silent reverence. I was eight years old. Well, my father's words were simple, but the Reverend Martin Dr. Lu the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's words were, of course, prophetic. 
and many of Dr. King's speeches were grounded in scripture. We heard three of those oft-quoted scriptures this morning. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy, joy comes in the morning. A voice cried out, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God, and let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Well, Martin Luther King Jr. was formed in his core by these words that were introduced to him by his mother, Alberta Christine Williams King. Much of what I'll share today regarding Alberta is taken from Anna Malika Chubb's book, The Three Mothers, How the Mothers of Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and James Baldwin Shaped a Nation. I highly recommend you read the book in its entirety. Well, Alberta was a product of her parents. They loved her deeply and encouraged her faith and her education. Alberta's father was Reverend, Reverend Adam Daniel Williams, the visionary and head pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, who believed the church had a responsibility to fight racial injustice and empower its members through service. Alberta's mother, Jenny Celeste, was well-educated and insightful and matched her husband's heart and drive. From her parents, Alberta learned that everyone was equal in the eyes of God and that we all have a role to play in achieving such equality on earth. From the moment she was born, Alberta would be told that faith would guide and empower her to speak for what she believed in. She was raised with beliefs that the human spirit would prevail over oppression, that love and fellowship would conquer hate and violence. She would follow in her parents' footsteps, continuing the legacy of combining faith with discipline and becoming a role model for many others along the way. She understood at a very young age that she would need to uplift others as a crucial part of her role as a black woman. Alberta was a brilliant student. She followed in her mother's footsteps and attended Spelman Seminary. She paired her love of music and reading with an extensive knowledge of art and a passion to become a teacher. She was concerned primarily with the future of the children in her community and focused on her schooling, her family, and yes, her church. Her community members knew her to be a young woman who gave freely and unselfishly of her talents, her time, and her energy. While sitting on her porch reading one evening, a young preacher by the name of Michael King passed by and stopped to introduce himself. A romance ensued and six years later, they were wed. They had three children, Willie Christine, Michael Jr., later to be renamed Martin, and Alfred Daniel. Martin and his siblings experienced firsthand discrimination growing up in Atlanta. At the age of six, Martin accompanied his father downtown to purchase a pair of shoes. Upon entering the store, a white clerk approached them to remind them that they needed to go to the back of the store. His father replied that they were quite happy at the front. He proudly said, we'll either buy shoes sitting here or we won't buy shoes at all. The clerk was infuriated and yelled, you take it like everybody else and stop being so high and mighty. 
They left the store with Martin confused and in tears. He returned home seeking comfort from his mother. Martin Jr. would always remember his mother's response. She told me about slavery and how it ended with the Civil War. She tried to explain the divided system of the South, the segregated schools, restaurants, theaters, housing, the white and colored signs on drinking fountains, waiting rooms, lavatories, as a social condition rather than a natural order. She made it clear she opposed this system and that I must never allow it to make me feel inferior. Then she said the words that almost every Negro hears before he can yet understand the injustice that makes them unnecessary. She said to me, you are as good as anyone. Later in his life, Martin would describe his home situation as a place where love was central. So Michael King Jr. was renamed Martin when Michael Sr.'s father died in 1933. Throughout his life, Michael Sr.'s father had insisted that he had actually named his son Martin after one of his brothers and Luther after his other. Well, in his final hours of life, he asked his son to officially change his name to Martin Luther King Sr. Sr. and his son's name to Martin Luther King Jr. And so it was. Did you, did you all know that? I didn't know that. Well, in the 1930s, Alberta and Martin Sr. became active in the NAACP. Alberta was also a member of the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom. Each of these groups was dedicated to the empowerment and liberation of the most marginalized. Alberta carried forward her parents' legacy and fought alongside her husband and other activists for the freedom of all people. With the passing of Alberta's parents, Alberta and Martin Luther Sr. fully stepped into their roles as the new leaders of Ebenezer Baptist Church. Alberta was the revered First Lady of the Church and became known affectionately to thousands as Mama King. Well, family sit-down dinners were mandatory in the King home. Alberta and Martin Luther Sr. sat at the head of the table as they laughed with their children and any extended family who joined them. The dinner table was a place where Reverend and Mama King taught their children about the injustices of segregation and reminded them of the importance of doing their part in changing such inequities. While the three children would sit and commune with generations of their family members as they professed their faith, shared their wisdom, and planned their next moves in the ongoing fight against oppression all while passing good food around the table. Well, one such dinner conversation occurred when Martin Jr. came home shocked and hurt. He had grown up playing with children in a white family down the street, but as they grew older, the white parents decided it was no longer acceptable for their children to play with the black child. Martin Jr. once again looked at his mother for comfort. She put her hand on his. She looked him in the eye and told him that he was worthy of the same respect as his friends and once again reminded him, you are as good as anyone. She held him, encouraging him to feel his pain and turn it into something positive. 
And of course, we know he spent his entire life trying to do just that. Alberta witnessed her boy, the one with a sensitive heart, and the one who begged her to go to school early, take national and international stages. He was sharing the lessons that she had taught him with his audiences. Although she wanted to protect him, she knew there was nothing she could do beyond supporting him. She could not keep him from what God had in store for his life. She beamed with pride and voiced her support in letters to him. She prayed with him over the phone. Particularly after Martin Jr.'s home was bombed in 1956, she was often torn apart by the threats on her son's life. Martin Jr. would call his mother often, and as he said, if mother could hear my voice on the telephone, she would be temporarily consoled. But he also knew his commitment to the nonviolent movement which constantly put him in harm's way, was the source of Alberta's deepest pride and her deepest pain. On April 4th, 1968, Alberta received calls from both of her sons that morning, and she found herself in good humor as she drove with her husband to church for an evening service. They arrived to chaos. No matter how much she had done, no matter all of the lessons she had taught him, she was hearing the words that she'd been dreading for years. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the apostle of nonviolence in the civil rights movement, has been shot to death in Memphis, Tennessee. Martin Sr. turned to Alberta, whose face was covered with tears. She cried in silence unable to make any noise. After all the time she had spent worried sick about her boy, her worst fears had become reality. Her son, her precious and peaceful son, was gone, taken away from this world in an act of pure hatred and violence. Only 15 months after Martin's assassination, the Kings also lost their son, A.D., in a mysterious drowning incident. As Martin Sr. described it, Alberta carried that burden that only mothers can know, the burden that comes with losing children of whatever age, that her sons were grown when they passed and had lived extraordinary lives, didn't minimize the feeling that they were still her babies when they were taken away. Alberta's daughter, Christine, once fondly recalled, every now and then I have to chuckle as I realize that there are people who actually believe that Martin just appeared. They think he simply arrived, fully formed, ready to change the world. Take it from his big sister, that simply is not the case. We are the products of a long line of activists and ministers. We come from a family of incredible men and women who served as leaders in their time and place. Well, loved ones said about Alberta, her teachings of unshakable faith and love for mankind were instrumental in shaping the nonviolent movement which has changed the course of history. Tragically, Alberta's life also ended violently. On the morning of June 30th, 1974, 
Alberta sat playing the organ at her beloved Ebenezer Church. As Martin Sr. rose to lead worship, shots rang out. Alberta fell forward. She was rushed to the hospital, but could not be saved. In her obituary, it was said that she immortalized herself through her students, and that the inspiration that flowed from her permeated the church, the city of Atlanta, the nation, and the world. The church overflowed for her funeral with visitors who wanted to pay their respects to the mother of the movement. Alberta Christine Williams King, well done. You were God's good and faithful servant. May our lives serve as examples of such faith and love. And may justice roll down like the waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. May it be so. Amen.